Welcome to the Emotional Curriculum with me, Dr. Sarah Taylor-Whiteway. In many ways, the UK is feeling more divisive than ever. Against this backdrop, schools are doing all they can to reduce racism, prejudice and to promote positive friendships. My guest today is Sean Jones from Queen Margaret University in Edinburgh, who has conducted research into how imagination and play can increase a child's intention to interact with immigrants and refugee children. We discuss the nature and power of the imagination. Sean, welcome to the Emotional Curriculum. Thank you for having me. So the work you've done on using children's imagination is absolutely fascinating. I was wondering what first made you interested in this area? So there's a very old piece of research in adult social psychology that talks about when we have people who maybe don't like each other very much for whatever reason, and we have them in a room together collaborating on a common goal, that contact between them in the right circumstances can actually make their attitudes towards one another much more positive. That's all very well, but in a lot of instances it's quite difficult to get two people who maybe don't like each other very much or are very nervous of one another because They come from groups where there's a history of not getting on very well. That's actually quite difficult to do. And researchers more recently in the last 10 years have found that you don't need to do that. You can make attitudes become a lot more positive if you simply ask people to imagine that they are working collaboratively or interacting positively with one another. And... It was that that grabbed my attention, particularly when I did some more digging into the area and I found that it had been applied to children and people had started to work with children's imaginations and their attitudes towards one another. Okay, so you're kind of really saying that the power of imagination can be just as strong as as meeting um, someone face to face. The effects of imagined contact are just as strong and in some cases stronger than they are in the, in the case of direct contact. This is what the research is telling us, yes. Yeah, and so do we know things about what is actually going on in the brain when we imagine things? When we imagine things, we can imagine, well, psychologists have divided it into three main strands of things. So we can imagine how we might feel, we can imagine the effect And that initially, in the case of uh, contact with somebody whom we're a bit nervous about, might be anxiety. So one strand that we might be imagining is around feelings. Another strand is around thought and what we're thinking. So what are our thoughts about this person who we might be interacting with later down the line? And the other strand is behaviours and imagining the kind of behaviours that we might engage with 
So there's yeah, three main main things that we might imagine okay. when we're thinking about meeting another person. Yeah. So it's it's almost replicating again, like you said, exactly what we'd be experiencing in real life of the feelings, yeah. thoughts and behaviours. Yes. And do we, when we imagine, are we always thinking about all three of them or can they be isolated and thought about one at a time? These are largely, a lot of the time, these are unconscious processes unless we bring them to conscious awareness. One of the things about doing this research is that we ask people, what are your thoughts, what are your feelings, and how would you behave? And that brings these three things into conscious awareness. Okay. So they would be going on without us being aware of them, and just by asking that question, we kind of bring them to our forefront of our mind. Yes. So a lot of your work has looked at um, increasing children's intentions to play with children that um, are not in their same in-group. Um, and I'm sure listeners don't need to be persuaded of why we need to do this. But I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit just about um, what the impact is of prejudice. Absolutely. So targets of prejudice, targets of bias-based bullying. So bullying that is because you belong to a group that has some kind of stigma attached to it is particularly pernicious. So it's particularly pernicious when it's targeted at the groups that you belong to because ordinarily you might use the group as a base for support. But with group-based bullying, that group might not be there anymore and you can't really do anything about it you can't choose to be a part of an R group okay. if you belong to a group that has a stigmatized identity yeah so it's really so powerful because it's it's impact it's really affecting a part of your identity like you say that you can't you can't get away from indeed yes I think a lot of people would feel that the UK is more divisive generally um, in recent months and years, but do we know if there has been a rise in um, prejudice-based bullying in schools? We know that there's been a significant rise in hate crime across the UK since um, Brexit vote, that was kind of the, the watershed, if you like. The, since the Brexit vote in June 2016, there's been a marked increase in the amount of hate crime okay. we know from recent reports in school on schools um, things like good racism the red card report that there is as a marked amount of anti-immigrant sentiment in schools whether those two things are linked to brexit or not is up for debate negotiation but we know that since that date, there has been a rise in those two things. Okay. So more than ever, kind of important for schools to be tackling it and thinking about it. Absolutely, indeed. And as well as that, we've also got an agenda going on in schools towards inclusion. So compared to 10 or 20 years ago, children are much more likely to come into direct contact with children from other groups. Okay. Um, and so, you know, considering the school context, are there things set up for schools to help reduce it? The interventions that are actually marketed at schools are few and far between. 
Um, a lot of them are based in picture books and storytelling. And we know that those interventions, reading about people from other groups and hearing stories about them, imagining ourselves in those perspectives, can help children think around these attitudes and their attitudes become more positive. Okay. So, so people are already kind of using stories to try and challenge this in schools. Indeed. There's an, uh, an organisation called Philosophy for Children, um, which has a, a range of texts that will try to encourage children to think around these texts philosophically, and part of that is about relations between people. And that's where a lot of the imagined contact research started with reading picture books and reading stories about children who were in some way different. Okay. So could you tell us a little bit about the research that's out there or the, how it started this imagined contact, the first few studies that looked into this? So the first studies that looked into imagined contact were done 13, 14 years ago now, in 2006. And these studies used fuzzy felt to um, ask children to imagine interacting with a child from another group. So there was a study done around refugee children and there was another study done around children with disabilities. And pictures were provided of children with and without disabilities and children who were said to be refugees or not said to be refugees and they were asked to put them on the fuzzy felt board and to imagine a really positive fun time. And, and then attitudes were measured. Okay, so imagine contact is exactly what it sounds like it means, just imagining yeah. having an interaction with the, with the another person from a different group. Indeed, and it's important to stipulate that when we're doing imagine contact, we're not just saying imagine interacting with that person, we're saying imagine a really positive, fun time um, with that other person, so a day out at the park where you have lots of fun. Um, so we're really, yeah, the instruction is about imagining a positive time. Okay. What were the outcomes of these first studies? What did they find the effect was of the fuzzy felt approach? So children who engaged in the imagined contact, who were imagining interacting with a child with a disability or a refugee child, had more positive responses to children with disabilities or refugee children um, than those children who had imagined engaging with a typically developing child, um, a child without a disability, or a child who wasn't a refugee. And one of the amazing things about this study was that they only had to engage with the fuzzy felts for a matter of minutes and um, a one-off occasion for it to change um, some of their thoughts and feelings. Is that right? Indeed. Um, so these are the these studies that two studies that I just uh, talked about were studies of five to six-year-olds. And there have been some other studies that have been done in Italy with older children, and they've looked at imagined contact over a series of eight weeks. Um, and the way that they've done that is by getting children to read about Harry Potter and the different houses that are pitted against one another in the Harry Potter books. Um, and using that as a tool to think about perspectives and views from different groups and found that that has a positive impact on children's attitudes towards people from other groups as well. Okay. And um, over eight weeks, whereas, whereas the, the, the studies that were done five to six year olds, um, the measures were followed up straight afterwards. So you've kind of got two things there. You've got what 
they just have to imagine the contact and that be really positive. But you can also use kind of stories and imagination to explore some of those ideas of, of in-group and out-group. Indeed. Yes. Um, and so your own research that kind of built on some of these these earlier pieces of research, um, what were you aiming to do with your research? We realised that the picture books, the storytelling, the fuzzy felt boards, they were working really well to promote imagined contact. And we wondered if the same effects were happening when children were playing with toys that represented a wealth of diversity. Um, so if we play with a toy that represents one group over another group, do we see the same effects? Because children spend a lot of their time playing with toys, so it'd be interesting to see what the positive benefits of that may be. Okay, and I guess this also addresses um, that idea that I was wondering is, you know, when you ask someone to imagine something, can you really tell what they're actually imagining there and bring it yeah. into that world? You know, you can see exactly what they're doing when they're playing with a yeah. toy. Indeed, um, we yeah, we've, so we've got video recordings of what the children are doing of their scripts. Yeah, we can tell exactly what they're in, the kind of play that they're engaging in. Okay, and so how did you go about testing this? So we had one group of children who would play with a child, uh, play with a toy set, and a child who represented uh, a refugee and was given a backstory around a refugee taken from Michael Rosen's book. And another group of children who read a backstory about a child who was said to be an immigrant, and that was associated with another toy figure. And then we had a control condition where there was there was an, uh, uh, the backstory was that they'd moved across England. This was a study that was done in uh, London, um, and then we gave them the backstories, uh, told them about the figures, and then said, "Okay, I'd like you to imagine that it's golden time at your school." and that you're asked to entertain, to play with this child for three minutes during golden time. And that's what we then watched them doing. And other than that, you didn't give them any instructions. It was completely free play. It was free play. Um, we gave some prompts if children were unsure of what to do, but the vast majority of children knew exactly what they needed to do. and were all too keen to get involved and three minutes was up, three minutes wasn't enough. We wanted to play for more. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they did. At what age were you doing this with? So uh, five to uh, ten-year-olds. Okay. And then I'm sure they engaged in the play in different ways, but they were all equally involved in, in that three minutes of play. Yes, indeed. Um, so what what did you find out? We found that overall intent, positive friendship intentions, so saying that you know, they'd be friendly towards the children that they'd played with, it were enhanced by the imagined contact. So if we measured intentions, friendship intentions to make friends with a child who was a refugee or an immigrant beforehand, and then there came the play, and then we measured those things again. And we found that there was increased positivity in the, in the attitudes towards refugees and immigrants if they played with a refugee or an immigrant toy as opposed to a control toy. So this is really powerful stuff. They've read a story and they do three minutes of play and that is really changing their views towards other groups. 
it's certainly in, increasing the extent to which they believe that they could be friends with this group. Indeed. Yeah. How were you testing that? What did you explore that that change in positivity? So I have a computer-based questionnaire, and we had what we call a balloon scale. Um, and the questions went uh, along the lines of, I would invite this person um, to my house after school. I would sit next to them to work on a science project, um, things like that. Um, I, w I would like to make friends with this person. These were the kind of questions that we were asking, and the scale went from not at all, no balloon, all the way up to very much, which was represented by a big balloon. Yeah. So kind of intentions to interact positively with... with Indeed. The, with, yeah. 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 And so did you see any um, individual differences in the effectiveness? Were there specific things that affected how well the kind of play worked? There were. Um, we found that how friendly children thought they would be was mediated, so was explained by how much their attitudes had changed towards the refugee or the immigrant group. So the greater the change in their attitudes, the more positive were their friend, the greater the change was in their friendship intentions. Okay. And that was particularly the case for those who played with the immigrant, uh, the child who, who had the immigrant backstory. Okay. Do you have any theories on why why that was more powerful with the immigrant backstory? We don't know. We think that maybe this was the easiest to understand of the scenarios. Yeah. And did you find any difference in the effectiveness depending on the age group? We've replicated this study um, this year, a few weeks ago, and we found that older children, this effect is more pronounced, it's more perfect more pronounced in the older as opposed to the younger children but in the study I just described that was done in London we didn't find any age effects. Okay so do you think there is any impact of you know you said one was done in London and now you're doing one in Scotland is that right? Mm -hmm. um, do you think there is any um, any effect of how much interaction the children may have had prior to the study in terms of their interaction with different groups? One would imagine that there were, would be, um, because that's what the prior research would tell us, but we measured the amount of direct contact that children had with children from other countries. That's how we operationalised it. Um, and there was no effect of that. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yes, indeed. We would expect to see it, which is why we measured it, but in this case, in this instance... We didn't, we didn't find that to be the case, that there was an effect of how many children from other countries they had contact with. Yeah. So essentially, you know, what the results are saying is that, as you spoke about at the beginning, I guess there's a little bit of anxiety about putting a child into a situation with someone from another group in case the interaction doesn't go well. And we're saying yeah. we can control for that because we can set up an imagined interaction where, you know, if it doesn't go well, we can, it doesn't have as much detrimental effects. And actually, the imagined yeah. interaction, when we frame it positively, can come out, you know, can make these real changes in their intentions to interact. Yes. So um, what do you think this is telling us then about kind of the power of imagination? It's telling us that over a short period of time, we can increase children's readiness or that their belief that they can make friends with someone from another group. 
So we're giving them three minutes of play where they're imagining somebody having this backstory and the toy figure representing them and the toy figure representing somebody with this backstory. And just that three minutes of play, we're seeing an increased readiness to make friends. Yeah. Do you think this idea of imagination can go into kind of other areas of how we address and changing beliefs and views of children? There is certainly scope for these kind of studies to be done with other other groups of children um, who, for whatever reason, experience um, negative responses to them in the classroom. It could certainly be adapted along those lines. So there's certainly scope scope yeah. there. And how much do you think teachers can take kind of your study and apply this themselves in the classroom? You know, you, you've obviously been very controlled in how you've done it. What could teachers pick up and kind of use from it? I think that teachers could go about that by telling children stories that are real stories. The stories that we used were stories about real children. We didn't make them up. And having toys in the classroom or having images in the classroom that represent children from different groups and getting children to interact not just with the toys and the images that look like them, but to see and interact with the toys and the images that don't look like them with an understanding of the stories maybe that those children have. Try and promote their cognitive empathy, the empathy to promote their ability to see the world through through the eyes of, of different children. Yeah. So it is really just about it's about encouraging them to use their imagination, exactly yes. like you've been studying, to to think about these other groups and, and to think about them in a really positive way. Yes, and if the teacher notices that children are playing with the toys that look like them more than they're playing with the toys that don't look like them, then maybe they could intervene and ask about that and ask about why they're not, because that gives them then a basis to address any concerns that children might have about uh, playing with toys that don't represent them or don't look like them. Okay, yeah. And just and yep. as you say, reframing all of that, so it's, it's the interaction has to be positive and the, and the imagination has to be positive. Indeed. Yeah. And so if there was just one thing um, you wanted teachers who are listening to take from this, what would it be? That children's imaginations are incredibly powerful. And if there are things that, that when it comes to interacting with other people, any other person, if they're worried about it, if they're nervous about it, one of the ways that that can be helped is by getting an image or a toy to represent the other person, getting them to sit down and imagine their interaction with that other person before they go and do it for real. Yeah. So, as Sean has explained, children's imaginations are not only wild, but may also harness the power to improve relationships and build friendships between children. If you'd like to find out more about Sean's work, her Twitter's handle is in the podcast description, and there's also links there to other things referenced in this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a review, subscribe, and follow us on Twitter. Or if you'd like to get involved, you can contact us on theemotionalcurriculum at gmail.com. See you soon.